This is Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, inviting you to give consideration to our Early Learning Academy as you look for a place for your pre-K, kindergarten, or first grader. We would love to have the opportunity to serve your child. We have outstanding facilities and a wonderful staff of certified teachers itching to serve you. Come by and share with us as soon as you can. Is God real? stories in the Bible true? I need answers. Welcome to A Closer Look with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend the next hour with us as we delve into the study of God's Word. We can't do what we don't know. Here at Shiloh, we want to spend time studying the Word so that we can rightly apply the Word to our daily living and make a difference in our community and in our world for Jesus Christ. Won't you join us now for a closer look into God's Word? We started two weeks ago a study on uh, generous giving. It stems from a, uh, a, a book that I was reading, I have it here with me, Practicing Extravagant Generosity for those, in, and I understand some people went out and ordered the book, and that's a good thing. Uh, uh, it's written by a Bishop Robert Schnees. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. I don't know whether it's Schnees or Schnaze. Uh, but it deals with the issue of generosity as opposed to mere stewardship. We opened the last time that we were together trying to draw the distinction between stewardship and generosity. Not, not, that, not that stewardship is a bad thing. It isn't a bad thing. And most of us have been taught that we need to be good stewards. But uh, the point that uh, Bishop Schnaze or Schnaze uh, tries to make in uh, this uh, book that he writes is that generosity involves going a step beyond stewardship. When, when we typically think of stewardship, we think of it in terms of obligation. We think of it in terms of uh, a, a debt that is owed. And that's very different from generosity, which is something that we do because we want to do it, because there, there is a desire within us to be generous. It involves a change of mindset. It involves a change of spirit. And uh, it, if, if, if you could think about it in these terms, uh, stewardship is arithmetic and generosity is calculus, okay? You, 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 you need to be able to understand stewardship before you can understand generosity. From, from, from a spiritual standpoint. I'm, I'm not speaking in commonality, I'm speaking in terms of spirituality. We need to understand uh, the basics, uh, and that is proper management of that which God has entrusted to us. But for us to rise to the place that God would have us be, according to the scripture, uh, God wants us to move past obligation. And he wants us to move to the place where we do things because we want to, because we know it's the right thing to, 
excuse me, to do, and because we want to be in accordance with the will of God. So, so we wanted to spend some time talking about what it means to be a generous giver. Uh, uh, and, and I said last time, uh, we'd see how many people uh, appreciated it, but how many people stayed. No, nobody tipped out last time, so you might want to, uh, well, we hope that you won't tip out this time either. I invite your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to focus on verses 6 through 15, but we're going to probably start with verse 1 to keep everything within its context. You know that, that when, for members of Shiloh, uh, when we come to the time of giving, uh, there's a set of, of scriptures that we recite uh, as the offertory period is taking place. Uh, Honor the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruit of all thine increase. Bring all the tithe to the storehouse. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. I will not open unto you the window of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. You know the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. We want to lift up one of those scriptures within the context when, when, when we pull those scriptures out, we're really doing eisegesis, and, 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 and it would be beneficial to us to not just look at those scriptures eisegetically, uh, pulled out from their context, but to look at them from the standpoint of their context, within their context. And one of those scriptures is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. Remember, and I'm reading from the message version. Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. That's one of those scriptures we lift up. For God loves a cheerful giver. God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything, more than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the winds, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways never run out, never wear out. This most generous God, who gives seed to the farmer and becomes bread for you, that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something you can then give away. 
which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. Carrying out this social relief work involves far more than helping meet the bare needs of poor Christians. It also produces abundant and bountiful thanksgiving to God. This relief offering is a prod to live at your very best, showing your gratitude to God by giving openly obedient to the plain meaning, meaning of the message of Christ. You show your gratitude through your generous offerings to your needy brothers and sisters and really toward everyone. Meanwhile, moved by the extravagance of God in your lives, they'll respond by praying for you in passionate intercession for whatever you need. Thank God for this gift, his gift. No language can praise it enough. All right, that keeps everything within its context. And I think context is important. If we're going to talk about generous giving, we have to begin with recognizing that it is rooted in a transformed mindset as a result of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And when that transformation takes hold, when it takes root, and when it is constantly refreshed, and let's be clear, it must be constantly refreshed just like everything else must be refreshed in our relationship with God. We don't just pray once and let that prayer go forever. We pray on a regular basis. We don't just worship once, we worship on a regular basis. In the same way, this mindset has to constantly be refreshed and renewed in our daily living. When that takes place, certain things result from that. Number one, generous giving will come from a willing disposition. In other words, it ceases to be what I owe, and it starts to become what I can do based on what God has done for me. There's a willingness to be a part of it. Second, it strikes the note of generosity. How so? It honors God. It, it, it's a recognition that what we are doing is in honor of God who has done so much for us. All of us in here know how generous God has been with us, right? In response to, to his generosity, we honor him by being generous to one another. Jesus taught us that our love for God is made manifest in how we treat one another. As I have loved you, so should you love one another in a similar fashion. As God has been extravagant toward us, our response, our thanksgiving is shown in our extravagance toward one another. It honors him. It relieves human misery. Just because Jesus said the poor you will have with you always doesn't mean that you're supposed to ignore the poor. <laughs> you know, the Bible says the poor you're going to have with you always. And, and, and some people use that as a reason to say we ain't going to do nothing to help nobody. 
That's not what Jesus meant. We, we, we have to recognize that, that it is our responsibility as Christians in response to the love that God has given to us to do what we can to relieve human misery. And it binds us together in fellowship. Because what, what it does is it gives us a, an area of commonality. We're, we're not the same. We're different people. We come from different uh, regions, we come from different backgrounds, we come from different uh, aspirational desires. There's a whole lot that's different about us, but there are things that can bind us together in spite of our differences. And one of those things is in our common worship of God, through our common giving back to him to meet the needs of his people. And so it binds us together in a unity of fellowship. Generous giving will always involve sacrifice. Anybody who just gives off of what they have left over after they've taken care of everything and everybody else doesn't really understand what, what, what generous giving is about. Anybody who gives purely out of a sense of, well, let me show you how nice I can be. I'm glad God didn't take that attitude toward us. There was a sacrifice that went into our being saved. Our salvation involved sacrifice. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He went to die a most humiliating death, death on a cross for us. So you can't be a generous giver and not sacrifice. Just like you sacrifice to put food on your table, just like you sacrifice to put your children through school, just like you sacrifice to do anything and everything that you want to do, Giving generously involves a sacrifice. Anytime you take what God has entrusted into your care and you decide that you're going to use it to help somebody else, you are by necessity also deciding, I'm not going to do something else. If I'm going to help these people, then I'm not going to lavish myself. If, if, if I'm going to give to meet this need, then I'm not going to use this in a selfish way. It goes with the program. And so this idea that I can give, but it ain't going to hurt, I don't know where you get that from. Now, it's not designed to kill you, as some of my colleagues want to make you believe go out and borrow money so that you can plant a seed. Jesus ain't say that. No way in the Bible. But, but what the scripture does say is proportionate to what God has given to you. You ought to be free to give to help meet the needs of others. And whenever you do that, even if it's 
less than, 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 than the tithe that everybody wants to talk about. And we're going to talk about that later. Maybe not today, but we're going to talk about that while we're doing this. Even if it's less than the tithe, whatever it is that we give, it's something that we could have used in a different way. But we chose to use it in this manner in order to support God's church and in order to help God's people. It involves sacrifice. Generous giving is always, 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 always in response to what God has done for us. Because let's be clear, you wouldn't have anything to give if God hadn't given it to you first. So, it's important that we keep these things in mind. Snaze writes on page 65 of Practicing Extravagant Generosity. The practice of extravagant generosity stretches us to offer our utmost and highest to God rather than to give in a manner that is, and listen to this, haphazard, unplanned, reactive, minimalist, mediocre, or mechanical. Extravagant does not correspond with giving that is merely dutiful, required, burdensome, mandated, or simply doing one's part. Extravagant denotes a style and attitude of giving that is unexpected, joyous, without predetermined limits, and from the heart. People who practice extravagant generosity change their lives in order to become more generous. In other words, they go outside the bounds of the way that we normally think about the management of our financial resources. It's only been a short time. I, I ain't that old. I'm 57 years old. And yet I remember when this church talked about dues as opposed to giving as the Lord has prospered you. You had to give according to a dues system. And the dues system said that everybody had to pay a certain amount. And the dues system said, if you didn't pay that certain amount within a specified period of time, your name was taken off the church row. You were stricken. You had to be three months current in order to, 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 to keep your name on the church row. Now, now, I know somebody else remembers that besides, besides me. That, 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 that's the way that, that it worked. The problem with that is it's not in accordance with the teaching of Scripture. You pay dues to your fraternity or your sorority. You pay dues to your civic organization. You pay dues to your neighborhood association. You pay dues to those things because those things are human things. God's church is different from that. 
And we shouldn't treat God's church the way we treat these other institutions, these other entities, these other organizations. The Word of God simply says, give as God has given to you. Not only that, it says do so not grudgingly, nor of necessity. See, dues were necessary. You want to be buried in the church? Better pay your dues. You want to be able to vote in the church meeting? Better be able to pay your dues. It, 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 it was necessary. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, not grudging, nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful and extravagant, a generous giver. Now, somebody's saying, well, if I ain't cheerful about it, then I ain't going to give. That's one attitude that you can take. The other attitude that you can take is, why ain't I cheerful? Why, why am I not cheerful about the one who woke me up this morning and started me on my way and keeps health in my body and sanity in my mind and food on my table and clothes on my back and a roof over my head and, and watches over my children and my family even though they ain't always doing what I want them to do. Blesses me in all kinds of ways. All, those, all that stuff you say, too blessed to be stressed, saved and sanctified, heaven bound. Uh, why, why, why ain't you cheerful? If you, if you know what the Lord has done for you. And if you are cheerful, as you act like you're cheerful until somebody says something about it's time to give. If you are cheerful, then why is that cheerfulness why is that generosity not reflected, not the motivating factor in your giving? Your motivation should not be because somebody tells you to. Your motivation should be because God has blessed you. Now, what, what, what is the, I, I read all of that uh, uh, from the book because I wanted you to hear that. It is not haphazard. It is not unplanned. It is not reactive. It is not minimalist. It is not mediocre. It is not mechanical. And these are all of the ways that many of us give. Haphazard. Somebody says something to us, and so we just decide, okay, well, I got some spare change. I'm going to give you that. It is not mediocre. That means a, a minimalist. That means I, I, I'm going to do the, what's everybody else giving? What's the least that I can give? That, that's the way many of us approach this whole thing. Extravagant giving is looking up to heaven and considering what God has done for you. And it's simply saying in response to what God has done for me, this is what I want to do. And here's something else that you need to understand, and the preachers who are listening to me need to understand. If you have given what you feel the Lord is pleased with, preachers ought to leave you alone and say thank you. Yeah. You ain't given enough. There's some, there, 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 there's some colleagues of mine who have them go back and count the money and see if the money meets up to what they want. And then, they, well, we ain't got enough. We need to come back and have a second offer. Amen. Y'all saying amen on there, I know. 
if you have given based upon your relationship with Christ and based upon what the Lord has given to you, everybody else ought to leave you alone. That's, that's your gift between you and God to meet the needs as best you can. And as God has blessed you, let's be clear, God ain't blessed everybody the same way. You don't need to be looking over your shoulder to see what somebody else is doing. You just do what the Lord has blessed you to be able to do. What, what, what is the context in which this takes place? Well, I, I told you that we're focusing on verses 6 through 15, but you need to start with verse 1 to keep everything within its context. I, if I wrote any more on this relief offering for the poor Christians, I'd be repeating myself. I know you're on board and ready to go. I've been bragging about you all through Macedonia province, telling them Achaia province has been ready to go on since last year. Your enthusiasm by now has spread to most of them. Now I'm sending the brothers to make sure you're ready, as I said you would be, so my bragging won't turn out to be just so much hot air. If some Macedonians and I happened to drop in on you and found you weren't prepared, we'd all be pretty red-faced, you and us, for acting so sure of ourselves. So to make sure there will be no slip-up, I've recruited these brothers as an advance team to get you and your promised offering all ready before I get there. I want I want you to have all the time you need to make this offering in your own way. I don't want anything forced or hurried at the last minute. So this is the context in which Paul is talking about giving. He, he acknowledges that there was a need for the church in Jerusalem that there were some Christians there, some Jewish Christians who were suffering in the church in Jerusalem, and they could be blessed by the financial contributions from the churches in the non-Jewish, what we commonly call Gentile areas. And he had been talking about this for some time. And when he talked about it, this is what we gather from the letter, when he mentioned it before, people were on board to give, and he gave them time to, to be uh, able to collect what they were going to give so that he didn't just come and pick it up on a last-minute type basis, but that people had the opportunity to do what they needed to do to prepare themselves properly so that their giving could be generous. Now he's saying, I want to make sure that you did what you said you were going to do. I don't want to just pop up and have you say, oh, I forgot about that. I wrote it down somewhere, but I, I forgot that I was supposed to do that. So he says, I'm sending an advance team to make sure that you are ready when I come, so that your giving is generous. I want you to hook in on the, on the fifth verse, because that leads to what he says in verses 6 and what follows. He says, I want you to have all the time you need to make this offering in your own way. I don't want anything forced or hurried at the last minute. What, what, what Paul is actually talking about here is the idea of covetousness, the idea of holding on to what is 
has been entrusted to me rather than being willing to give what has been entrusted to me. And, and, and what contributes to covetousness, Paul says, is when you feel like your arm is being twisted. Anybody ever feel like your arm is being twisted to do something that you don't really want to do? Covetousness, by definition, is the illicit desire to have what belongs to another. Generosity, on the other hand, is the godly desire for others in need to have what we possess. And what Paul is suggesting here to the Corinthians is that we should avoid and reject a spirit of covetousness and that we should embrace a spirit of generosity. Understand something. You can't be covetous and generous at the same time. You can be covetous and give something, but you can't be covetous and generous at the same time. The church has to reject the whole, and when I say the church, I ain't talking about local congregations. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about you. You are the church. The church has to reject a spirit of covetousness and has to embrace a spirit of generosity. Now, get into verses 6 and 7, where he tells us how this generosity can be cultivated and why it is for our benefit. Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in giving. So, if we're going to talk about generous giving, the first thing we should recognize is that the way we sow is the way we reap. That's what he says. If you are a stingy sower, you're going to be a stingy reaper. If you are a lavish sower, then you're going to reap a lavish crop. We must recognize that generosity involves the giving away of our material possessions to meet the needs of the church and to expect nothing in return. Wow, y'all got quiet when I said that. Most of what we do in the world is based on some aspects, some, some thought in the back of our minds of reciprocity. That if I do this for somebody, then somebody's going to do this for me, that, that, that I'm going to give only predicated upon the fact that at some point it's going to come back to me from the person that I'm giving to. And that's not the way that generous giving works. 
Generous giving works in, 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 with the attitude that I'm going to give it because I recognize that it needs to be done and I want to be a part of the doing of it. And I ain't worried if it, if it never comes back. If it comes back, so much the better. If it doesn't come back, I'm good with it. Now you're going to say, well, you, 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 you're, you're, you're not speaking in keeping with what the scripture says. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly, you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. But the reaping doesn't come from the people that you're sowing into. That's what I'm talking about. The reaping comes from God. Quit telling folk all the stuff you did for them. With the expectation that they're that they going to be just so filled with gratitude and appreciation. Most of the stuff that you do for folk, they felt like you should have done it anyway. That's not where your reciprocity is going to come from. That, 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 that's not where you're going to give it. Your, your blessing doesn't come from them. Your blessing comes from the Lord. And so generous giving recognizes that the way we sow is the way we reap. Proverbs 19 and 17 says, mercy to the needy is a loan to God. I'm reading from the message version. Mercy to the needy is a loan to God, and God pays back those loans in full. In other words, you ain't going to get it back from Mary or Joe or whoever. You're going to get it back from God. God will not be in debt to anyone. Paul informs the Corinthians that giving away some of what we have is the means by which God provides more for us to give. The way to have an abundant return, according to Paul, is to be abundant and generous in our giving. That's why it says not grudgingly, nor of necessity. Let's be honest. If you, if, if you give with a, with a begrudging heart, it means that you didn't really want to do it in the first place. There's one thing I found out in, in, in the time that I've been in this world is that folk going to do whatever they have a mind to do. Money notwithstanding, they're going to find a way to do what they really want to do. I was driving back from, from Pensacola Thursday, coming back to Baton Rouge, and I was listening to the weather reports in Baton Rouge on Thursday, and I got mad on Thursday because I knew that folk had made up their minds on Thursday. They weren't coming to church on Sunday. <laughs> Amen. 
They saw the governor on TV talking about be careful. They saw the mayor talking about proper precautions. By the time I got home Thursday afternoon, folk were filling up bags with sand in order to make sure that nothing happened to their homes and all this other kinds of proper precautions, all do the right thing, pay attention to what they say. But when that thing passed us by, and you ain't get hardly any rain at all. And next to no wind at all. I knew that none of that was going to change some folks' minds because you'd already made up your mind on Thursday. I ain't coming to church on Sunday. What does that have to do with what I'm talking about? It has to do with it this way. Once we make up our minds that we're going to do something, that's what we're going to do. If you want to make up your mind that you're going to Aruba, you know what you're going to do? You're going to Aruba. Don't matter what it costs, don't matter what, where you got to get the money from, who you got to beg, borrow, or steal from, you're going to Aruba. Next thing I know, I'm going to see Facebook pages of you doing selfies from Aruba. <laughs> talking about how beautiful the landscape is in Aruba because that's what you really wanted to do. I pray for a church that really wants to be generous toward God by being generous toward one another. That's what Paul is saying here. Let your generosity be a reflection of your love and your appreciation to God. If you have a will to be generous, then you won't let anything stop you from being generous. And here's the thing, God will help you develop a generous spirit. God will help you to put your priorities in order. Do you really need that 75th pair of black shoes? <laughs> Really? You know, some of y'all can't do with just one pair of black shoes, or two pair of black shoes, or five pair of black shoes. You got low-heeled black shoes, and then you got high-heeled black shoes. You got black shoes that are wedges. You got black shoes that are slingbacks. You got black shoes that are pointy toe. You got black shoes that are patent leather. You got black shoes that are real leather. You got black shoes that are something other than leather. You got a whole rack of black shoes, so much so that you gotta pick out which three pair of black shoes, you because you got one pair on your feet and you got two in your purse in case your feet start hurting so that you can switch out of one pair into another. I know something about what I'm talking about. Do you really need that 75th pair of black shoes? Yeah. 
or can you allow the Lord to speak to you and, 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 and recognize that 74 is enough? And, 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 and with the money that I'm going to spend on the 75th pair, I can be generous toward somebody else. God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways, verse 8, so that you're ready for anything and everything, more than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the winds, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways never run out, never wear out. This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something you can then give away, which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. Second thing that Paul lifts up with regard to, to this generous giving is that when we sow generously, God allows us to reap bountifully so that we can give even more. He does it so that we can give even more, so that we can be a greater blessing. He replenishes what we have given so that we can further extend the blessing out to others. Some of us have the attitude that I'm willing to give to others after all of my needs have been met. God has blessed me with this. It would, it, it, it would be wrong of me not to take care of all of my needs first. And then with what I have left over, I'll give to help somebody else. Sounds logical. Sounds rational. What it doesn't sound is spiritual. What God expects us to do is give to him first out of what he has given to us. Give, give, give to me first. Y'all remember the story of, uh, of Elijah and, and the widow at Zarephath? Yeah. When, when, because I got Bible to back up. So when y'all getting quiet, I know y'all don't like what I'm saying. So I got to back up what I'm saying with Bible to help you to at least say amen. <laughs> you ain't going to say it with no enthusiasm, but, but at least you, you, got to, you got to agree with what the scripture says. Bible says that when the brook Cherry ran dry. God sent Elijah to a widow woman in a village called Zarephath. And the widow woman had just enough meal to make one little cake for her and her son. And just like any good preacher, Elijah showed up just when the cake was coming out of the oven. I know I'll get you to say amen to that part. <laughs> and Elijah says something crazy to the woman. Says, feed me first. 
Now she told him, I ain't got but this much meal. I made this little cake. Me and my boy gonna eat this, and then we have decided we gonna lay down and die. And Elijah said, before you lay down and die, fix a meal for me first. Take, 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 take a sliver of what you have made and give it to me first. Elijah wasn't just being a greedy preacher. Elijah was representing God. And what Elijah was saying on God's behalf is that with the very little that you have, if you are willing to honor me and put me first, something's going to happen. The woman was obedient. She was dutiful. I can imagine the son was sitting over there saying, why are you giving him my cake? But the woman cut the cake, gave it to Elijah first. She and the boy ate what was left over, and something wonderful happened. Next morning, she got up and went to the meal barrel, which she had just emptied out the day before. And there was meal in the barrel. And she was able to fix another cake. Well, I guess there was more in there than I thought. There was, but then the next morning, she went to the barrel, and there was meal in the barrel. And the next morning, and the next, and for the remainder of the drought, every morning, there was enough meal in the barrel for just one day. The problem with saying, I'm going to take care of all my needs first and then I'll give to God what's left over is that you have now put you in the place of God. And that's the wrong attitude to have. That's, that, that, that's just the reverse of what God wants you to do. God doesn't ask for everything. He just wants you to recognize him as being first. And he says that if you recognize me as being first, I'll bless you. I'll, I'll keep you blessed. And so the attitude that we should have is not I'm going to give to others out of what I have left over. It's that I'm going to give to God and then take what I have left over and take care of my needs. Trusting that God will help me to do it. I got 14 minutes left. Verse 12. Carrying out this social relief work involves far more than helping meet the bare needs of poor Christians. It also produces abundant and bountiful thanksgivings to God. This relief offering is a prod to live at your very best, showing your gratitude to God by being openly obedient to the plain meaning of the message of Christ. You show your gratitude through your generous offering, offerings to your needy brothers and sisters and really toward everyone. Third thing Paul lifts up here is that when we sow generously, what we reap is far more than monetary. Now, if you don't get anything else, yeah. get that. Yeah. 
Quit listening to these people who tell you that everything that you're going to get back is going to be monetary. It's going to be financial. That if you plant a seed of $100, you're going to get $100,000 back. Quit, quit, quit listening to all that. Quite often, the blessing that we receive goes far beyond money. It goes far beyond a, a financial remuneration. God's blessings come in all different kinds of forms. It is a blessing when we give to meet the needs of others as a spiritual sacrifice. It is our acknowledgement that as Christ sacrificed for us, we're willing to sacrifice for someone else. You know, you can't really be thankful to Jesus for the sacrifice that he made for you if you're not willing to, to, to sacrifice for somebody else. All this lip service to Jesus, thank you for, for going to the cross and dying for my sin. You do know he didn't have to go. And if you read the text, he wasn't crazy about it. Lord, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. It's an acknowledgement that what was being done was being done at great sacrifice. You can't really show that you, you, you appreciate and have a full understanding of what God has done for you through Jesus if you're not willing to do what you can for somebody else. More than that, it produces praise and thanksgiving in the hearts and minds of the other. What do you mean by the other? Paul is asking non-Jewish Christians to give to meet, to, the, to meet the needs of Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem. In a real sense, he's asking them to give to meet the needs of the other. People who by cultural belief and rearing thought that they were better than these folks. You do know that, that, that one of the first controversies that existed within the early church was the controversy that existed between Christians of Jewish background and Christians of non-Jewish background. And, and the Jewish Christians thought that because they were Jewish, they were closer to God. And yet Paul is asking the non-Jewish Christians to give sacrificially to meet the needs of the suffering Jewish Christians who, if the tables were reversed, might not give to meet their needs. It brings to mind the, the, the parable that Jesus tells about the good Samaritan, that, 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 that a man is beaten and left for dead on 
the road. And while the scripture doesn't say it explicitly, the implication is that the man who was beaten was Jewish. Because the contrast is that two Jewish folk passed by, not only Jewish folk, religious Jewish folk, a priest and a Levite passed by. And both of them step over the man and keep on going without offering any assistance. But the man who was the other, the man who was different, the man who was from a different culture, from a different background, had an entirely different experience, was the one who stopped and did the loving, neighborly, merciful, missionary thing. At the end of the parable, Jesus asked, which one was the true neighbor? With the obvious answer being the one who was the other. My point is this, when we give sacrificially, not knowing who it is our gift is going to help, we're helping the other. The other racially, the other economically, the other geographically, the other economically, the other socially. Many of us don't have a problem helping folk who are like us. We have a problem with helping folk who ain't like us. Many of us want to know who it is we helping before we help. Generosity says, all I need to do is know that a need exists. I don't need to know who it is who has the need. I don't need to do a background check. I don't need to run a credit check. I don't need to have a private investigator to run a history of their life. I just know that a need exists. And when you help the other, the other praises God for what you have done. They might not walk up to you physically and say thank you because they don't know who you are. But you didn't do it so that they could thank you, did you? Be careful how you answer that. You, in, you know how we feel about lying in church, right? You, you didn't do it so that they could thank you. You did it so that all the praise goes to God. You're helping the other. And when you do that and the praises go up to God, your sowing reaps a blessing that goes beyond money. Transformed lives. New opportunities. Well, what if they waste it? Then that's on them. You're not responsible for what they do. You're responsible for what you do. Amen. Final verse. Time for me to go eat. Verse 15. Meanwhile, moved by the extravagance of God in your lives, they'll respond by praying for you in passionate intercession for whatever you need. Thank God for this gift, his gift. No language can praise it enough. Paul ends with this declarative. 
no matter how generous our giving to others might be. It pales in significance when compared to the ultimate generosity of God who saved us through the sacrifice of his son. Recognize that, that, that we are moved by the extravagance of God. When you give generously, you're not moved because a need exists. You're moved because God has been so good to you. The problem with giving simply to meet the need is that when the need no longer exists, you stop giving. Well, we met that need. I'll, I'll wait till you come back with a new need, and then I'll give. But when, when, when you're moved by the extravagance of God, the wonderful thing about the extravagance of God is that the extravagance of God never stops. The blessings go on and on and on. You sitting there right now, three minutes left, and you ready to say, come on, three minutes, roll back, go by as fast as you can. But you're inhaling and exhaling. That's a blessing. That's the extravagance of God. You just nodded your head. That's a blessing. By the extravagance of God. You just said, yes, it is. That's a blessing. By the extravagance of God. You go, it, it just means you're going to stand up, and when you try to stand up, your legs are going to support you. That's a blessing. Because of the extravagance of God. And if you don't think it's a blessing, Stop by the hospital when you leave here and see folk who came and recognize how blessed you are. Are there scam artists? Always have been. Always will be. One of the earliest scam artists in history is in the Bible. Acts chapter 6, I believe it is. Where Ananias and Sapphira sold some land and pretended that they brought all the money yeah. to the church but held back some yeah. for themselves, there have always been scam artists. We, 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 we cannot allow, once again, if we keep our focus on God, everything else fades yeah, yeah. into the background. And, and that's the important thing, keeping our focus on God. Let me end by, 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 by quoting 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. You're familiar with the generosity of our master Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. Think about this. This is Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, inviting you to give consideration to our Early Learning Academy as you look for a place for your pre-K, kindergarten, or first grader. We would love to have the opportunity to serve your child. We have outstanding facilities and a wonderful staff of certified teachers itching to serve you. Come by and share with us as soon as you can.